You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Well, welcome, all you wiretappers out there. I'm back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. I've got on a Zoom call a new friend of ours, John Panisi. Now, you may have read about him, he has his own blog piece. And uh, we're going to talk to him about being a uh, former mob guy, a member of the Lucchese family, and who has now turned into a blogger, which is kind of interesting. And believe me, folks, you ought to read it. He can write pretty darn well, and he's got some interesting stories. And just the titles of some of these things are will stir your interest. So welcome, John. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for having me. Well, John Panisse, you're, uh, you're kind of a legend on the Internet. You're creating a little bit of stir out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to. <laughs> you even got the U.S. attorney by that again, I've noticed, by uh, <laughs> writing these blog pieces. Because are you in witness protection? Uh, I, wasn't real... I can't divulge. Okay. That. All right. Okay. I got you. Anyhow, let's start talking a little bit about your past, I guess. You were a member of the Lucchese family. Tell our listeners here and me about that. And you even went through a uh, an initiation ceremony. So I'd like to hear about that. And so would the rest of these guys out here. Yes, I'm a former member now. And at one time, I was a uh, member of the family, Lucchese crime family. It was back in 2013 when I was inducted into the family. Uh, prior to that, I was an associate of the family. So when you said you were inducted in, did you read about this several places? I've even seen a couple of people who've talked about it. I had Michael DeLeonardo give kind of a blow-by-blow description of the night that he was inducted. Can you tell us about that? It's probably very similar. It was a, we were called and, you know, you're not supposed to know where you're going, but obviously you know where you're going. <laughs> and it's funny because one of the guys that was my friend that was coming with us, and he was going to be inducted on the same day as, as well, his name was Anthony Guzzo. I had tricked him and he had asked me what I was wearing. And I said, well, whatever you do, don't wear a suit because, you know, you're going to embarrass yourself. Nobody wears suits to these things anymore. You're bad. And when, we pulled, <laughs> when we pulled up to his house to go to pick him up, I got out and I was wearing a suit. <laughs> but and, and anyway. you knew, and you knew those other guys, a lot of those men would be wearing suits, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're bad, man. So, go ahead. Well, I told him, go, he was wearing dress pants and a sweat. I said, go back up and change. You, you know, you have time. And he was all aggravated. He did the way he was. But it's a serious ceremony, very serious. They will make you wait either in another room. For us, we wind up going down into a basement and it was chairs in the basement and they called us one at a time. And in my particular, there was the acting boss, Maddie Madonna, and the consigliere, which was Joe DiNapoli. The underboss was not there that day. That was Stevie Crea. He wasn't present. And there was a whole table full of guys captains and members and you know they go through this whole ritual and there's on the table there's a pistol and there's a knife that those are symbolic weapons for the ceremony and you know they ask you a series of questions the first being do you know why you're here and we all answer and say no when you know we do know why we're there but you can't say 
Yes, you know why. And then they tell you what you're doing here and that you're going to be inducted. And like I said, it's a serious ceremony. You know, one person is speaking only, and that was the acting boss. And basically asks you if called upon to kill for this family, would you kill for this family? And a series of other questions. It's all similar to probably what you've heard from Mikey uh, Scars. And kind of a little bit of explaining the rules right. a little bit. That was my question. So after the ceremony is over, did they then explain the rules to you? Like, don't mess around with another guy's yeah, wife you, or sister yeah. and oh, those girl, kinds of things. Girl, oh, girl. Yes. And also putting your hands on another friend. So that's another member's called, we refer to them as a friend. And you're not supposed to put your hands on another friend. And matter of fact, it was even told to me that if another friend puts their hands on me, I should kill them and try to kill them and we'll deal with the consequences later. You know, you don't let nobody put their hands on you either. When I first went in the intelligence unit, I, I worked a mob here in Kansas City. And we have a family, old school family, goes clear back to the turn of the century and came up just like all the other families. With a, And we had a modern day boss by then. But one thing I found so fascinating is this subculture within this city that a lot of their like extended families. I like new people that were extended families, were friends of them, but they were extended members of the blood family. And, and everybody knows each other. And that's one reason we never had any informants, I think in Kansas City or nobody went turn witness because your extended families all like go to weddings and funerals and everything with each other. So if you go in and you leave town, then you leave all these people behind and they're like, they have kind of bear the brunt of that little bit back home. And, and so that's just so fascinating. And they all went to St. Pius uh, Catholic high school together <laughs> and the dads and uncles and everybody came to the football games and they had family gatherings and, and it was like this regular, normal family. Neighborhood kids went over and they had a swimming pool in one of their backyards and kids would go over and play in that swimming pool. And everybody knew each other. And if you were a neighbor, you might be able to find something from one of them that they fell off a truck. But to the extent of it, you know, they didn't really know about this whole La Cosa Nostra secret society family thing with these other racketeering crimes going on in the background. That was a way. So it's just fascinating that uh, almost like you lead two lives during that time. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people would be surprised that you do have a regular life as well. And you try to keep as low key as you could. There's like two different types of guys who handle themselves in that life. And what I mean by that is that you have the people that want people to know who they are and all the school mentality of trying to be a little more secretive and not have people know who you are. And that's probably the best bet. Yeah. There are people who kind of almost would put a sign up over there. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've yeah. seen that. I've seen that. I, I had a Italian lawyer here in the city tell me about he ran into some guy at a, some disco that was dressing the part and talking the part. He said, I walked over to him and I said, you know, I know your parents. I know everything about your family. And you work at a grocery store. <laughs> you're, you're not a yeah, well, mob member. We talk about that a lot, that years ago, you may have the local butcher who you thought was the butcher. Yeah, during the daytime, he was the butcher, but maybe at nighttime, he was a part of this organization. And, you know, that was the smarter way of obviously doing things. John, tell me a little bit about, you never wore a wire or or worked on anybody, and you were a member of the kind of the Brooklyn crew. I see in your writing the Brooklyn crew of the Lucchese family, but you lived and everybody lived in Staten Island. So, Well, the crew, yeah, well, it was a Brooklyn faction. 
And we were based out of Staten Island. And the, the crew used to be in Brooklyn and there was no actual crew in Brooklyn, in, in the borough of Brooklyn. It was, we had it in Staten Island. So we were the Brooklyn faction of that family. Uh, John, you became a cooperating witness, but you never wore a wire or worked undercover on anybody. No, I did not. When you became a cooperating witness, it was because you knew about stuff that had been going on. No, what had happened, I mean, it's a long story, but I'll try to cut it down as best I could. What had happened was a series of events had taken place that did not make any sense to me. And it, it all surrounds the someone, and it was... My captain had put, and and his brother, had put a false, we call it a wire, but a false rumor that I was no good on a case that just took place. The reason they did this, strategically, it was a very smart move for them to do. We had just transitioned the family, and the power of that family was on my side now. No longer prior it was theirs because they were very close to the consigliere. And you could lose decisions that way. If you have a problem, you should bring it to your consigliere. Because they were so close to him, I couldn't go and bring any complaints or grievances or or what have you. You would lose that. So with the shift of power and the transition of the family, the power was now in my favor. At that moment, unbeknown to me, the brother of my captain, who's also a friend with the family, started going behind my back with a girl I had been dating. That's the death penalty. You don't mess around with people's wives, girls, none of that. That's the death penalty. That's one of our rules. Knowing this, and the, what happened was that there was a breakup in a relationship. And even if you're broken up, they're not allowed to do that. And my captain kept asking me, are you with the girl? Are you not with the girl? And I kept, it was very confusing because that's not a Cosa Nostra conversation. You know, that's private. We do have our private lives and certain things we don't talk about. And he kept bringing this up and asking me and asking me. And a guy that I write about a lot or have written about a lot that was in our crew called Johnny Cyburns one day asked me, what would you do if you found out that somebody in the crew was dating you or seeing your girl? I said, I'm going to make a big deal over it and I'm going to bring it to the administration and somebody's going to pay for that. I wasn't putting these pieces together right away. And until I had gone to a wake and this particular girl wanted to go to this wake, and we usually don't take women to the the wakes. She used the excuse that her son played with one of the brother's sons and that it's a, you know, it's respect. She should go to the wake. She should be allowed to go. I wind up against my better judgment, letting her go. She had met the brother prior to this twice, right? She knows who he is. And when I went to introduce her to the brother, I said, you know, so-and-so and you know, and he said, yes. And she says, no, we never met before. So it was a very stupid answer her to give because it was a nervous answer. So the cat started coming out of the bag little by little, and I questioned her on it, and that got back to them. So now they know that I'm catching on to this, and it's very dangerous for the captain's brother. Basically, it could be the death penalty for him. So what they did strategically and unbeknown to me was that they 
put the false rumor, false wire that I was no good and I was a rat on a case. And I was called to a house of one of our capital regimes, one of us, one of our other skippers, an old time captain. And he happened, these guys were out on bail on the particular case that they supposedly they said that I was no good on or gave information on. I go to this house and, you know, there's a bunch of guys sitting there. And they didn't know I was actually, I happened to pick up my youngest daughter. So I don't know what would have happened had I gone alone, but I show up and have my youngest daughter with me because I used to pick her up and bring her from Staten Island back to Long Island for the weekend. And the first words out of the captain's name was Dom Trasulo. The first words out of his mouth wasn't even hello. He sat right next to me came very close to me and asked me, do you know who the rats are on my case? And I like, I moved closer to him and put my hand on his, affectionately on his shoulder because we talked a lot and I liked him, had a lot of respect for him. And I said, Dom, how are you feeling? <laughs> you start off with, and he says, oh yeah, I'm all right. Do you, so do you know these rats, who the rats are on my case? And I laughed because I said, Dom, I know you got arrested because I read it in a newspaper, but I don't even know what your charges are, let alone who the rats are in your case. Why are you asking me? And, you know, he just looked at me and he was asking. So there was a series, like I said, a series of events that made no sense to me, but which was one of the second thing that happened was, you know, when you're in that life and you were on the other side of that, right? So you did surveillance on guys like myself and so did the FBI. And we always kind of a little, some of us were a little counter surveillance savvy. And I mean, I think I was, the FBI said I was, so they definitely, who knows better than that. So I had come home one day and I was living in Long Island, like I mentioned, and I was looking for the FBI, not anybody else at all. It wasn't even a thought in my mind, even with these couple of things going on. Instead of pulling in my driveway, I went up the block one way and I was looking at the cars. And and when I went to go the other way, I seen a car that was not aligned with the other cars. It parked not the greatest park. And when I drove past the car and look, and I had armed up at this point because I didn't like what I was hearing. And there was a couple of things that took place and I didn't like it. And I drive past this car and I look and lo and behold, there's two guys in the car. Now, I'm glad I'm talking to you because you could answer this. I always tell the guy, Tom, you could answer this for me because people have said, oh, might have been the FBI, might have been law enforcement. One guy turned his head. They both have baseball hats, right? One guy turned his head to drive it completely around so I couldn't see him. And the passenger took the baseball cap and put it over his face. To me, that means I know at least the passenger, right? Now, to answer all these people who like to put messages and they say, oh, that was probably law enforcement. So my answer to that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I wind up chasing these guys because I spun around. I had the pistol. I almost shot through my door into their car. The reason I didn't do it was a neighbor and his 10 or 11 year old daughter started walking and said, we're going to wind up killing somebody. But I wind up chasing them. They got out. I went after them. Now I'm chasing them through the streets. They did about 80 miles an hour and they got away from me. My question to you is, had that been law enforcement, knowing who I was or the FBI, don't you think that they would have announced at some point, pulled badges out and said, 
especially thinking that I'm chasing them and I might shoot at them and make themselves and their presence known to me that, hey, this is who we are. Or they're going to let me chase them around. First of all, cops, FBI or police, whatever, intelligence, you wouldn't have tried to hide your face. You would just look straight ahead and just like you were like, well, oh, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything. You know, yeah. I'm not doing it. You know, I don't know. What are you talking yeah. about, dude? I'm just wait, I'm waiting on my girlfriend to come out of this house because that's like a dead giveaway. That's amateur hour there. 100%. And second of all, when you started, if I pulled out and I had this happen to me and you started chasing me, well, I'd probably take off just to play with you a little bit. But if you got anywhere close, I had that this happen too. I'd have that gun down below, but I'd have that badge that I would just go straight up like this and say, please. <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing my sergeant told me. He said, if you think you're getting in trouble and they think you're an informant or uh, somebody, well, you know, one of the opposing crew, Tell them you're the police right away. Nobody's going to hurt the police, but if they don't know you're the police, they're going to hurt you. So that's that's my so answer. I'm glad that. that you. I'm glad you were able to give you insight on that because I hear it all the time. I, yeah. I hear it. I've read it in the beginning. Now I put. I have blockers. I don't even have to look at these uh, emails. Or comments. Yeah, yeah. But back to the story. So now that this took place, I set up a meeting with the guys who I thought it was in the car the uncle, who's another captain in our family. And I went on to the meeting and very tricky meeting because when I, where the guy called the place where I'm meeting him and I got there early, I wanted to look around and I seen the place was very tinted windows and dark, not my kind of place that I wanted to (laughs) walk into. And I went out and I went to go try to look in there and it was very dark. So I got back in my car and I went around and behind the buildings was back entrances to these front stores and then the back entrances. And I, near one of the entrances, I see a bunch of cars, nice looking cars, which was kind of what we drove. And I counted, you know, one, two, three, four, five. And I went back around the corner and I counted. And sure enough, it was the number of the storefronts came out to the one that I seen the cars parked to. And I was going to leave and say, hey, I can't make it. And the guy pulled up. So, but he didn't tell me to go in that particular place. We went next door to a coffee shop. And you know how it is when you have a pistol and it's in my jacket pocket. The right side of my jacket is obviously hanging lower. I didn't care. I wanted him to know. And he's seen it. And I basically told him that if your nephew, I told him what happened, but I just explained to you. I explained that if I see your nephew on my block or in Long Island for that matter, because he didn't live there, I'm going to leave your nephew in the street, leave him right there. And now at this point, it was a big statement what he said back to me, because Gary, in that life, it's supposed to be a brotherhood, right? We're brothers. And anyone outside of that life is a civilian. And his nephew would be a civilian. He wasn't in that life, right? His answer to me should have been, if you find my nephew, I'll come there and I'll put him in the street with you. Right. His answer to me was, well, that's not going to go very well for you if you do that. That's how I knew something really was serious, because now he's not looking at me as a friend anymore, as a brother. And I answered him and said, well, then it's not going to go good for your nephew either. And then he had asked me, do you want to go for a drink next door? (laughs) I said, no, it's too early. And we left. I left. We say goodbye. And I left. And he also didn't stand up to greet me goodbye, to say goodbye to me. That's another disrespect. So he wasn't treating me like he was supposed to 
So that was another sign. So what happened was I had spoken to my son after that because a I had where I lived, Gary, you had to go through like a, a little driveway to get to the back of my place. And a UPS guy one day was making noise and he was coming with a box. I came out with the pistol out. I was going to shoot him. I thought it's because now it's getting worse and worse and worse. And he happened to like the lights came on. It was delayed, you know, the, uh, oh, the yeah. spotlight. And I realized it was the UPS. He didn't even see me. I put the gun back. And who walked in behind him was my son. And I said, come in. I said, you won't believe this. I almost killed the UPS guy. I told him what was going on. And he said, dad, you got to do something and you can't stay here. I wind up packing up. And this was another thing that comments that I heard. This is the first time really people are hearing this. I wind up packing up and going down south to Georgia. I went to Savannah. And a lot of people ask me, why did you pick Savannah? Because I never heard any wise guy say, I'm going on vacation to Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> and, uh, only, only to Tampa, Miami. Yeah. And the reason I did, now I didn't go, you know, like my son always tells me, he says, you know how many people at that point would have went to the FBI or went to somebody? And I, it was not even a thought in my head. Like I told the agents when I did speak to them, this is down the road. I'll get to that. I said, you know, you guys were my enemy. That's the way I was brought up. And that's the way I was raised. That's, that was my mindset is that they were the enemy. So I'm not going to go to the enemy. I was took it in the street. I wanted to deal with it in the street. But at that point, here's my son who was two years old when I first went away. And I came home and he was 19 years old. So for 17 years, he lost me. And now he's saying, you can't stay here. Like he knows I'm going to get in trouble again. Somebody's going to die or I'm going to die. So I go to Savannah and unfortunately I tried to stay down there because of my record. You can't get employment. I was getting knocked down for everything. And I wind up coming back. And in the interim of all of this, the family is trying to get in touch with me. They're trying to call me in because now like two months goes by Gary. And would you know, and a lot of people that don't understand this, what do they get as the time goes on and they're out on bail? What kind of material is handed over to defense lawyers? Discovery. Discovery, yeah. And guess whose name is not in the discovery? Uh-oh. My name. Uh-oh. So now they're trying to get me back and say, I got a text and I saved it. And I've put it up on my Instagram from somebody's saying, hey, they're trying to reach you, but nobody's, they say you're not answering. They made a huge mistake, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, saying they want to speak to you because now discovery is out and my name's not in the discovery. But at that point, I don't want to go. I'm done because Gary, his uh, family or any guy in that family that could have called me up and told me, come meet us at three o'clock in the morning. Don't bring your phone and go in the basement of this house. And don't put no lights on. And I would have did it. I would have met them. How do I now go back after all of that and the disrespect of somebody disrespecting and going with somebody that I dated that a lot of people think that's the reason for this. It's not. It was the disrespect of sending people to my house to hurt me. How can I go back to my family and trust these people after that? I can no longer trust them. So I was done. What I did do is I sent a message to the acting boss at the time. And I said, listen, I'm done. I know there's no walking away, but I'm done. 
There's no coming back. There's no me talking to you. I don't want to sit and have a conversation and have a sit down. There's no more talking to me. I wish you guys the best of luck. I hope you never see the inside of prison. Hope you make millions of dollars. Leave me alone. Right. Here's the message I received back, which was a foolish message. I received a message back and it was a stupid message because they all denied. I went to one of my closest friends, who's now the underboss of that family, Patty Della Rosa. We discussed this and I said to him, we were in a restaurant. I said, Patty, I'll put my head on this table and I'll sit here with you. You make a call and get anyone in New York, anywhere or anywhere outside of New York that could bring paperwork saying that I am no good or I gave information or I anything. I'll put my head on this table, blow my brains out. He says, oh, come on. What are you talking like that? You know, there's no paperwork. There's none of that. I said, well, then why is this happening? They denied it. But you know the mistake he made? One of my closest friends, what does he say to me? He says, what kind of car was it? Now, even if we sent the car, I would never admit to that. He says, you know, well, what did it look like? I says, it was a black small car, had stickers on the back. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking to myself, why would you, if it wasn't us that sent that car there, why would you want to know what kind of car it was? What it looked like? What color it was? Because you want to know why? The guys they sent there, Gary, didn't tell them that I chased them away. <laughs> That's why. They, want, they knew I knew what I was talking about, right? But worse, what does he say to me? I said, Patty, listen, tell everybody, don't even approach me to say hello to me because I'm going to hurt somebody because I'm going to take it like someone's coming to do something to me. I'm going to protect myself. His answer was, I know, I, I told them they got to use shotguns on you, which means to me, there was a discussion on how to hit me. And he told them he's walking around strapped up with a pistol. And so this is all in my head. I'm saying, I can't believe so this happened prior to me going to Georgia. When I come back is when I get the message back. And here's the message from the acting boss himself, sends me a message. Listen, we could have had you. We could have get you at any time we want. We know where you were working because I was legitimately going to a construction job in Manhattan. And I'm saying, look at this. First, you had nothing to do with this. Now you're saying we could have had you at any time. And you're kind of admitting that you were looking to hurt me and for no reason. But you know what? You go your way. We're going to go our way. Good luck. And don't worry about it. Nobody's going to come looking for you. Right. Okay. You know, I don't believe that. But okay. And now I go to my job back in Manhattan. I get my old job back. And that time I was a safety engineer for construction jobs. And I go get my old job back and I go back to work. Right. They started using other ethnic groups at some point, which was a group called the Bloods. I had chased in Manhattan, in the middle of Midtown Manhattan, about five or six of them that they had laying on me in Midtown Manhattan. My father was on a job at this time. He was a project manager. And I explained what was going on. And he's saying, don't leave the office. I went right back out there. And the first incident, I went and chased them. And with a knapsack, with a pistol and a knapsack, I just couldn't believe what level of disrespect they have stooped to. And I didn't run. I didn't go to the FBI. I didn't, I didn't leave my job. Right. After some time, I wind up going to a different job and I wind up telling somebody, one of the last people that I spoke to, I had a group of people near the end, about five, Gary. 
And one by one, I stopped talking to them because I couldn't trust them no more. I've had guys that told me it was close to me and told me, what do you want to do? You know, we could have went to war and I just didn't want to do that to them. We could have, but I didn't want to get other people involved and we're up against kind of in a losing battle if we don't do it right. And then people are going to die. People are going to go to jail. Still, I did not think of the FBI at all. What happened is that I went and had another job and it was in Rockaway. It was in Queens, another construction job. I moved to another place. My God, I even forget where the hell I was living. <laughs> anyway, I, lived, I was living in Long Island in a different little town. And what had happened was one of the last guys that I was close to, he was the guy who brought the message from the acting boss. And he was trying to get a meeting because now after sending that message for me to go on my own, another message comes from him. And the message was, we need to talk to you. We want to sit and talk with you. I said, there's nothing to talk about. So the guy gives me the message. He says, what's your response? I says, there is none. He says, well, I have to tell him something. I said, tell him you gave me the message. Well, what's your message? There is none. I have nothing to say. I already sent my message. Good luck. Wish you the best of luck. Why are you sending another one back to me now? That, in other words, I thought, go about your life. Don't worry, which I didn't believe. And now they tried to get me to another meeting. And of course, I'm not going. And that guy kind of knew the vicinity that I lived in. And I now cut him off because I didn't like that he was persistent in trying to get me to this meeting. And I started seeing people laying around at the train stations in the new town that I lived in. And at that point, Gary, what am I going to do? Because it's expensive. You know how many times I moved? I moved out of the state. You know how much money that cost me? I moved back. Then I moved uh, two more times in different places. You're talking about a lot of money. And now I got to start switching jobs. And what happened was a cousin of mine had a conversation with me and he suggested that I go to the FBI. I didn't listen to him. And I sat there one day and I was talking to my son and my son basically said, let's write down the pros and cons of like, what could you do? What are your options? And then what the option was again to move out of the state. But what if I pick another state that looks my record up and now I have to can't get employment? What do I do then? Money was not, you know, I didn't have loads of money. And that was the other option was finally it was the first time that I even thought of the government or the FBI. Right. We had to put that down like as a last resort. And. Like I said, my son lost 17 years without his father, and he was a nervous wreck. He knew I was either going to go to jail for the rest of my life, get killed, I'm going to be in some type of a war with these guys, and I'm on a losing end. It's, I'm one person. He told me, I think that you should go tomorrow. And it was a Thursday that we were talking, and the next day was Friday. And I said, all right, I had no more option. So he left. The next day, I stood in my house, Gary, Friday. Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night. I couldn't do it. I was sick to my stomach. I was sitting on the floor, sick to my stomach. And what had happened is Monday morning, I woke up. I went over to my grandparents have passed away. I went over to say a prayer to them and their picture. And I said, I know we're not supposed to ask for signs, 
but I beg you, tell me that going to the FBI is the right move for me to do. Give me some sign or I'm not going. I didn't want to go. I know people will never believe that, but I didn't want to go. I didn't live at it by a train station. You know, the train station was, we had to walk to it. There was no planes flying around. It wasn't an earthquake. Gary, I swear to you, I had wine glasses and different glasses and dishes in the house. Everything was shaking in the house. Like ding, 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 ding. And I even called my mother up. I says, I want you to listen to something. This went on for hours. She says, what is that? I says, it's the glasses. I prayed to grandma and grandpa. It's the glasses and the dishes in the house shaking. Gary, I can't even explain it. And that was my sign to go. So now where do I go? I had to Google it. I went to the wrong building in Manhattan. <laughs> You're just crazy. I went and actually it was like a terrorist task force. Yeah. <laughs> and of course they contacted the right people. Yeah. That's you. how it took place to be, you know, in all honesty. Interesting. You know, people believe it. They don't believe it. I don't yeah. care. I'm telling yeah. you that's the way it happened. No, I believe it. It's got, it's so, got the rigor truth to it. I'll tell you right so, now. So Gary, when I walk into them, unlike the 99.9 cooperators or informants, I have no, the agents basically said, you were like manna from heaven that fell in our lap because they were shocked that I was there because I had no, I wasn't out on bail. I had no cases. I had no indictments. I had no secret. Indictments. I wasn't under investigation, nothing. And that's usually, as you know, you were, you were ex-law enforcement. Why do people cooperate? They cooperate because they want to get out of a prison sentence. Yeah, they get you out got of something on them. That's the only reason I've ever seen. Yeah, so I guess the agents, I'm unique in that sense. I think myself and Al Diaco are the only people in that life that ever came in with nothing against them and nothing over their head. Interesting. Oh, it's uh, we're on up here. We're about 45 minutes. We probably ought to go ahead. And that's been a great story, John. Let's talk about your website. Tell everybody the name of your website, your blog site. It's sitdownnews.com. I created it. I was doing a lot of writing. I had, you know, this is a stressful, the whole process is very stressful. You're now a government witness, a government cooperator, your life drastically changes, as you probably could imagine. Very stressful. And had to have an outlet. I like to exercise. It wasn't enough. <laughs> I like to run. It wasn't enough. What I found myself doing was writing a lot. And I just came up with the idea one day and I said, maybe I'll just put my thoughts and what I have into words and see how it goes. And I created out of the blue one day, the website, didn't know how to do it, never was a, I'm not very computer savvy. I had to Google everything and YouTube and how to do it. And I, I learned that way. And then I had to write and, you know, I'm not the greatest writer and I learned along the way. I got better from my first couple of articles, obviously, as you and I was just talking about SEO and all that stuff. I had to learn all of that. And I started writing and posting blogs and never thought that it would grow and get to where it is present day. It was more therapy for me and it still is. I think I mentioned to you, a lot of people have the misconception and they think because of the way the articles are written and the type of articles they are, that it's like a revenge thing. And it's not, it's not a revenge thing. It's 
like I said, when you're in a fishbowl and you're looking out, it's very different than when you're out looking in the fishbowl. I'm a different person now and I'm in a different place and I had 100% peace with myself, very blessed. And I'm writing the truth. And a lot of people can't handle the truth. They don't want the truth to come out because that's the mob. You know, the mob doesn't want to look bad. They rather put the story out that, oh, John Panisi is a rat, always must have been a rat, and that's it. And we exposed them, and this is what happened. And that's not the truth. And John Panisi was 100% loyal, and he followed the rules. <laughs> And these guys break all the rules. You know, the rules are in place for a reason. That's why a lot of people have issues with the blog. And a lot of people love the blog. I get messages from all over the world, private messages. People have nothing but good things to say. And they say that I inspire them to do the right thing, whatever they're up to in their life, to really think about, think twice before whatever it is that they're doing. Interesting, yeah. You know, Michael DeLeonardo, he came in precisely the same reason you did. He went into jail and, and he had money out there in businesses that they were, people were going by getting the money and just keeping it. They just totally disrespected him. They thought he said, you know, I, he said, I got hold of him. I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to be back. But they just kept it up and, you know, they paid the price. He expressed a lot of the same sentiments you did about coming in and making that decision. He didn't have quite such a moving experience to do it. It's hard to do. It hurts you. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. It hurts you. I got to tell you that there's a Netflix and I watched it, had a lump in my throat, my eyes were filling up and it was on Tommaso Boschetta. Oh, yeah. yeah. Daughters and everything. There was one scene where the daughter said that my father always tried to act normal. And I find myself doing that with my daughters. But inside we seen he was like dead and he was hurting. I got a lump in my throat and I was, you know, on a verge of crying because that's the way I feel. It's a terrible, terrible situation to be in. Yeah, it is. You know, I've thought about doing a show with just some children of mob people to explain to people. Everybody thinks this mafia thing is this glory kind of a deal, but yet there's this other human side and this, the children are just, they're really, they're hurt. When you're gone to penitentiary or that life you live that's so secretive. I got a good friend here now that did nine years out of a 10-year bit, and he's turned around, and I've gotten to know him real well, and, and I know his adult son, and I've talked to his son a little bit. He has this huge gap in his life, so it's just, you know, you're not the only one. and it's My, uh, my uh, kids as well. Did you see the recent, the NBA and the Barton Man podcast? We had my daughter on. If you didn't see it. I, I didn't daughter, see it. Which, we had which one my, is daughter, it? my 25-year-old daughter on. Uh, the NBA and the Button Man podcast. It's okay, a I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at I'll that. Send you because, the, I'll send you the link when we're Okay, done. all right, because I, I really I want to do a show. I've got a couple of children now that have got hold of me. I get it all the time. I'm getting emails from children or grandchildren. They have questions, and they think I might know something because I was in law enforcement. They're like local people here in Kansas City. And I always have to tell them, I'm sorry, I can't really tell you any more than kind of what the police would have known at the time. And that personally, and, you know, they got killed or, yeah. or this one poor girl, she had, her dad left one day and just never came back. And he's never yeah. been seen since. And she's yeah. an adult now. And it's hard. We've talked about it, but she can't talk about it with me much because if other relatives find out, then they're going to be mad at her and be yelling at her. So and that's secretive kind of a thing that 
it really destroys families in the end. If people think, you know, like I, I could get on there and glorify that life and go on a blog or go on a, a podcast, but if that's what people want, they're not going to get the truth. If yeah, they want the truth, yeah. either you accept it or you don't, but you're going to get the truth from me. And if it sounds like I have a vendetta or it sounds like I'm trying to get people back, what can I do? I'm just speaking the truth. I can't help the way it comes out and the way it sounds, but it's the truth. Yeah, well, there's out there in this mob fan world, there's, uh, and I may make some people mad, but you know, there's these fanboys out there and they think they're, somehow they think they're, I don't know what they think they are. They get on Facebook, you're a rat, oh, he's a rat, they're a rat this I'm going to tell you what that. they think. They think by saying that they're part of Cosa Nostra. Not. <laughs> yeah, I, got a, really. I got a memo for them. They're not. <laughs> really? Yeah. All right. Well, John, this has been great. Folks, don't forget, you better check out that website, that blog site. It's sitdownnewsalloneword.com. And he's got, here's some of the titles, folks. I think this will stir your interest in it. The Fashion of Cosa Nostra. I got an FBI agent here locally. He talks about, he's an old codger now. And he talks about, he said, you know what happened? He said, when those guys started wearing track suits, it just went on downhill, all downhill. <laughs> he said, they used to wear thousand dollar suits <laughs> and look, and look good, look sharp, shine their shoes. Now they're wearing jogging pants and tennis shoes and gold chains around I, their neck. I that was the uncle, end of the mafia. <laughs> I had an uncle that used to get his undergarments shipped from France. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, Bonanno, wise guy, falsely makes himself a boss. <laughs> Nefarious ways of Johnny Sideburns, and you mentioned Johnny Sideburns, a mob handbook. So there's some great titles, and, and there's some good stuff in there, folks. I kind of looked over some of them, and, and they're readable. You know, the main thing is, as you're real readable, you got, like Hemingway, you got short sentences and subject and predicate and some adjectives in there. So uh, I salute your work and keep it up. Thank you. Uh, Next thing you know, there'll be a movie about you and Brad Pitt will be playing you. <laughs> You're a little better looking than I am. <laughs> I'm always kidding okay. my wife. I said, you know, Brad Pitt, if that sucker had ever call me up, dude, and then tell everybody that they listen to my podcast, I might be something someday. <laughs> right, right. You'd be surprised. He might be. <laughs> he might be. All right, John. Thanks a lot. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you again for having all right. me. Pleasure Good talk. talking to you. I'll get hold of you guys when I get this all edited up and everything. And another question. Do you mind if I put this on YouTube? Or no, the video? Okay. All right. All right. Gary, if you ever need and you want to do the show, I'll, I'll get you my daughter. Okay. All you, right. I'm going to send you the link for the show. It's really okay. good. It, it, it came out. I'll do it. Yeah. I, um, I've got Tom, a couple people lined up. So that would be another one. That would be Tom great. and myself and my 25 year old daughter. She did excellent on the show. Got a lot of views. It was really. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Children of professional criminals, if you will, for want of a better term. It's just they pay a hell of a price, man. They really I know really do. I don't want to hurt your feelings here, but because you know it by now. But they pay a hell of a price just like kids, children. Children of policemen pay a certain price, too, when you're Maybe gone all the time. I'm guilty of it. <laughs> <laughs> really? You know, I think back, I'd go to work. I'd be like out of suburban little league coach dad out there. But then I come over here in the city and I was like this kind of pseudo gangster and drinking all the time and hanging out in the bars where the mob guys were. And, and there's this edge of violence, you know, that I had all the time in my life. And you bring that back home again, back to your little family. And it's they pay a price for what we do. Very true. When do you think you'll get it up? Oh, it'll be a couple of months now, I think. It'll be at least be six weeks, I'm sure. We're I've got this video on YouTube will be six weeks. Well, I could put this up a little quicker, the video. 
the audio podcast, I really sit down and edit a lot of stuff. I'll put this up a little quicker. All right. That's okay. Great. It's All great right, John. To you. All right. Great talking to you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, folks, thank you for listening and all your nice comments on the Apple Podcast Reviews, plus your nice comments on my YouTube channel, where I often put up the uh, at least the Zoom interview so you can see what my guests look like in real life. Also on our Facebook group, Gangland Wire Podcast. I see a lot of really good compliments on that. I've got some great people that help put up really good content. So if you want more mob information than you can shake a stick at, go to Gangland Wire Podcast Facebook page, or actually it's a group. Remember that if you support the podcast with some donations, you'll get an invite to my live Zoom call, where we'll share stories, answer questions, and in general, have a good time. Don't forget to buy me a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer on Venmo on your Venmo app, or you can go to Gangland Wire, my website, ganglandwire.com, and donate. I have a donate page, and, and each podcast that I put up has a pretty lengthy written blog piece about what the subject is, and at the bottom of that page, there's a way to donate. I have some fixed costs, and plus I'm raising some money for my next documentary, which is about the KC mob and the election fraud of 1946. I've already had to hire a film guy to do a couple of my interviews, and I have one more interview to film. Plus, I have an artist that I pay to do some illustrations for my movie. If you remember from Brothers Against Brothers or Gangland Wire, I use some illustrations in those. And by the way, you can rent those on Amazon for only $1.99. Or two ninety nine if you want the HD version. And finally, I have my book, Leaving Vegas, the true story of how FBI wiretaps ended mob domination of Las Vegas casinos. Now, that title is a mouthful. But in that book, you're going to find copies of a lot of the transcripts of the actual wiretaps. And if you get the Kindle version, I took those audios that I got out of the court files and linked them to the book in the proper places. I have an explanation. And then the actual audio wiretap, which I think is kind of unusual. So you can go to Amazon and get that book and get it in the Kindle version. Gangland Wire supports the Veterans Administration and their programs that help veterans with PTSD. You can call their hotline at 1-800-873-8255 and push 1. Or go to their website, www.ptsd.va.gov. I hate saying that www. I left it out when I said something about gangland wire. You guys all know. I can leave that out. Anyhow, thanks a lot for listening, and listen up next week. I try to put out one a week. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey. Casey.